We make this distinction. We swim. The air we breathe, the water we swim in is consumerism. And so we try and distinguish between what it means for us to live on a cruise ship versus experience life as a battleship around here. Because on a cruise ship, we usually ask these fundamental questions. Did I like the all-you-can-eat buffet? Do they have everything I wanted? What did I get out of it? And and, and it feels like it's very me-focused. And am I comfortable when my needs are preeminent versus trying to see the local church as God's vehicle to help bring his hope and truth to a hurting world? Is the mission right? Do, do we get excited about being people, helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time? And do the captain, plural, plural, our elders, captain and staff, not singular, plural, uh, take orders from God? We believe there's a sense that they're trying to join God in what he's doing. And will I have significant opportunity to contribute in this context? And so about a year ago, we saw the grace show up. And so if you're willing, why don't you just share a little bit of what that experience hanging around Hillcrest has been for you, Cassie? Wouldn't it be funny if I was like, I'm not willing? (laughs) Um, Sarcasm reigns. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, my husband and I and our six little, well, six little kids, um, one in utero, moved a year ago. And uh, this was a fun question to answer because um, my husband and I um, quite often kind of look back on our lives and just see how the Lord um, just made very distinct, like, I am with you in this hard time. I am with you in this hard time Hmm. uh, promises to us. And um, so we're originally from Georgia, moved to California for medical school, moved to South Carolina for residency, and then up to Wisconsin, naturally, um, for fellowship. So that was like a very surprised email that we got. And we were like, oh, Wisconsin, better buy some coats. (laughs) So... um, we get up here, no, nobody, you know, a thousand plus miles away from home. And we kind of left like the dream neighborhood, if I'm being honest, that was like, I mean, that was my end game and we were there and we lived on this like just fantastic street and everyone knew us and I could send my kids out. Um, sometimes they just ran out to people's house, but it was like, you always knew they were safe because you knew everyone and they always had eyes there and it was awesome. So then, you know, we come up here and um, so my husband being a physician works a zillion hours a week and uh, is busy a lot of Saturdays, I mean Sundays. So he's sleeping now because he's on night shift and then other times he works Sundays. So we actually got connected with Hillcrest because there was a Friday night event and he wasn't working that particular Friday night. And so we were like, oh, awesome. Let's run go. Like, let's try that one. And this was like pretty early while we were here, a couple weeks in. And um, so tried it, felt very connected. There were so many just gracious, generous people who introduced themselves and um, were there to answer any questions. And um, then it took me a little bit to get into the OB system um, Mm. established here in um, Madison. And so by the time I got, it was probably another week and a half or two weeks later, um, I was established in the OB system and my first appointment, they were like, surprise, you have gestational diabetes. Mm. And I was like, what a surprise that is. Um, so I like had four appointments a week and I was like, cool, 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 cool. So I have five kids, five and under, and I have no babysitters and my husband is always working and will be zero help. And I don't know anyone. And so, um, and he gave you the green light to share that because he would also go, oh yeah, it was wild. Yeah. For, I mean, it was, there's, I don't feel like, you know, anyone would be like, no, 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 that's, you know, 
That's whatever. It was, I was like, Zach, what do, like, what do you do? Do I go to care.com? Like, is that where we're at? I just find a random person to come mm. babysit. And so um, I had Magda's number and I'm like, Magda, look, help. I know we just met, but to reference the Beatles, help. I need somebody, help. Um, so I got sent, I don't feel like the Beatles are referenced enough on stage. Got sent a bunch of numbers and um, it was right at the time where people were starting school. So uh, there were some college folks, but um, Stacy came in clutch, helped me out, Stacy Anderson. Mm. Um, but she only had one week before she went to school. And then so Magda covered one time and she had to bring her children over. And I'm like, I know that wasn't easy. Thank you so much. And then um, Michelle helped one time. And then I got connected with Grace Schmidt, now Karamzada. And she's like, you know what? Send me your schedule and I'll just let my boss know I'm not going to work any of those days. And I was like, God, was that directly from you? I'm like, can you hear me shout of joy just knowing all these ridiculous appointments are mm. covered for the next two months? So um, just like huge, huge, huge answered praise. And mm. this was a quote from my husband. He's like, I can't even watch the five kids. Like that's a huge thing for someone just to take on these five kids, five and under. Um, so that was just mm. like, oh man, we've made it. Like we have found our place. And mm. so I was really encouraged by that. So much was given to us immediately from the church, just these like, I have a need. Yep, uh, here's a solution and we can play a part in that. I have another need. Yep, another solution. Mm. Um, just So just so, so, so grateful um, that I'm like, you know, this is it. How can we pour back into the church? So just motivated by generosity to give back so now that my youngest son is a little bit older working in the nursery now getting part of a life group bringing meals to folks that need meals it's just been really easy to give because we were mm. given so much um and then part b um, <laughs> we talked about living out the gospel last mm. uh year yes. and my husband was really motivated particularly by um a sermon that um david had about gender curiosity now uh and my husband's pediatrician so he's like yes i deal with that a lot and i'm like while that was a great sermon doesn't really apply to me in my life currently being at home with all the kids but i'm like you know it was a great sermon, and how do I apply that to my life? So just living out the gospel where you're at. So we left the street that had so many kids and was so mm. awesome, and now we moved to this street that uh, it is all original owners of the home, and they're now in the retirement phase, and it was just very different. And so I'm like, okay, how is this? Because I love my kids. I do not love putting them all in their car seat. So how can I get involved here to where I don't have to get in the car, and we can just love literally where we're at? And so to be um, people helping people. Yes. Uh. So we started doing crafts and my kids would just take their wagon and we would just knock on doors and give crafts out to all of the um, older folks in our neighborhood. And mm. that has built such a community for whatever reason. They keep letting us in their home, which I'm like, do you have like two days of cleaning up after we leave? I don't. We can just talk outside, but they love having us in their home, which is so awesome. And we love being there. And I think it probably took us um, five weeks to know everyone's name on our street. And again, I'm like, Lord, thank you for planting that seed. Because during the winter, like that was so nice for us to have, again, something to do where I didn't have to get them in the car. And it was just such a blessing that, again, spiraled from mm -hmm. Hillcrest and the way um, God used David and the community to 
the church community to um, challenge us to make those decisions. Mm. So there's, there's where we're headed. This coming Sunday evening is reflecting in our annual meeting and how the allocation of our resources is tied to uh, the vision. And so uh, you get to hear a little bit in Cassie's story. It feels like there's been this foundation of simplicity uh, of being people, helping people find life with Jesus and then being and seeing ourselves as everyday missionaries in the context we play. And so where is God? taking us next? Where do we get to join God and with what he is doing? And so there's two things we're going to do with our annual meeting this coming uh, evening at 6 p.m. We we hope, we desire to increasingly model and give our faith away to future generations so they have what we have. And so this coming year, uh, as we continue to embody what it means to be disciples, three initiatives that that we're going to hope to step into is one, how it impacts our campus. And so about 10, 15 years ago, we worked with an organization or considered working with an organization called Building God's Way. We ended up uh, tabling that. We are revisiting that now 10, 15 years later around the specific scope of kids, disciples, environments, what it would look like to, to be a little more focused and deliberate with the environments we have as we invest in our kids and, and these future generations. Second, in this digital discipleship world, what does it look like for our staffing to be impacted? Uh, we're elevating Jack's role to fulfill a vacant communications director role that's been left vacant for the past year. We feel like we have the right guy. And so seeing Jack step in to invest his time in energy in that way. And then our ministry structures. How might we continue to to embody life as a, like you experienced today, a family moment. We are a multi-generational community and striving for that sometimes is hard. Young people, they're like, we don't need anybody over the age of whatever age I am. And older generations are like, what does young knuckleheads have to teach us? Instead, we deeply have something we can learn from those further on in this journey of faith. And I think vice versa. And so what does it look like for us to truly embody a multi-generational community? And then second, how we actually see God's heart. Our world is hurting over this idea of human sexuality. How might we design environments that might express those that are wrestling with accepting this particular issue uh, uh, outside of God's design, those who are personally struggling with this, that there's healing and grace to be found, and those that genuinely want to stand but to be equipped. So we want to talk about what it looks like to invest in ministry structures that would help facilitate that. And then we're voting on our doctrinal statement. And so we preached on our doctrine last summer, and we've been talking about Tier two issues no longer being deliberately specified in our doctrinal statement and elevating uh, a particular issue. So eschatology, a tier two issue. We want to keep talking about it, but people who have different views can peaceably worship. Those that have different views on spiritual gifts, whether you're a cessationist believing that spiritual gifts ended with the apostles or a continuationist believing spiritual gifts have some role today, we can peaceably coexist and wrestle together anchored in the inerrancy of the text. And third, uh, and in terms of whether the age of the earth is young or old, we're creationists. We believe God did it, but, but how long he t- we weren't there. We weren't there when it happened. And so peaceably having young earth and old earth creationists coexist while simultaneously elevating one particular issue. Because 35 years ago, when we put our doctrinal statement together, this human sexuality thing wasn't an issue. And so we're trying to codify, because churches are dividing over this left and right. We're trying to say, we believe we're made in the image of God. Why would we have any right to speak into poverty? 
Because every human has dignity. Why would we feel we have any right to speak into pro-life? It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. Why? Because we believe every human has dignity made in the image of God. Why would we speak into trafficking? Because every human life has dignity. Why don't we kill old people? Why don't we euthanize people? Because every human life has dignity. And we're trying to understand the way God designed life to work. And so we're elevating that uh, to clarify where we believe is a tier one issue. And so you can join us tonight, 6 p.m. to 8. If you call Hillcrest home, we'd love to see you. If you're a member, we need you there to vote on this thing. But, but if, you, if you call Hillcrest home, come and join us for another family moment, if nothing else, to have ice cream. There is child care for the budget time, and then we will all be together at the end. Would you pray for us and just for God's continued leading in our church family? Lord, we come before you today just um, humbled that you are a God who cares about the decisions that we make. Mm-hmm. You are a God who moves mightily in us, and I pray that as tonight and we uh, meet and vote for the future of the church, that you will move mightily in us, that we will um, just have our hearts open to um, change and what that might look like and how in these current times we can better further your kingdom and continue to be people loving people both in the church outside of the church and for the future of the church we love Mm. you and we praise you jesus name pray amen 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 thanks gassy and now you guys are ready for a whole nother sermon are you guys ready thank you buckle up we're gonna go quick Uh, and we're going on one verse But I feel like this verse is significant. And so when we look back where we've been this past year, we've been going through James and James has been walking us through what happens when our faith gets expressed. Faith works when we're tested, when the challenges of life hit us. James says, take joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds. And then faith works when we love. Show no partiality, James says. Well, why would I treat anyone different? Because I know I'm a beggar that's found bread, and I just want to share it with everyone. Faith works when we love. And then James has been walking through. Faith works when we speak. Why do quarrels and fights happen among you? We know why. It's my spouse that I'm married to. That person always causes the problem. James says, no, there's actually something in you. Why, where do quarrels and qu- fights come from? There's something in us. And so we want to see our faith increasingly reflected in what we speak. And as James finishes letters over these, uh, these past few weeks, he says, keep going. Faith works when we persevere. And so here's a look. Just the ideas, count it all joy when you, when you experience trials. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Pray for his perspective on the circumstances of our life. If we don't bridle our tongue, our religion is worthless. Faith without works, it must get lived out. The tongue can create a forest fire. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing if unbridled. And again, back to wisdom. And don't speak evil against one another. Again, how we speak. And then guilty of judging God, he says, when you judge others and take the place of God as the ultimate soul-judging person, that would be a very bad sign. And just like Rick shared with us last week, focusing on Jesus' return, be patient. Often when we hear focus on Jesus' return, there's an urgency some of the other biblical writers cause us to live with. James, like Rick developed last week, actually encourages a steadfast patience in anticipation of Jesus' return. Because we believe Jesus is returning, there's a, there's a steadfastness and a rootedness and a patience that it actually produces in our life in the midst of the challenges. And so this morning, here's where we're headed. And I'm gonna read verse seven to 12. We are only focusing on verse 12. 
Here we go. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Was that a lot of words in a very short period of time? Gabe's like, yes, yes, I feel like I'm just drinking from a fire hose right now. And, and you guys understand, this is fascinating, right? I was sitting and talking to someone on a soccer field, and, I, and I'll share it briefly later. Sitting and talking to someone on the soccer field, and then next thing I know, someone else is participating in our conversation. Uh, and, and I may have been talking loudly, neither here nor there. But this person said, yeah, that's why you can't trust the Bible, right? It's just a myth. It's open to whatever interpretation you want, right? And so what we do, what we do is we gather to hear the author James and understand his words, believing it's actually God's words. And so we fight as best we can to understand the author's intent. And, and so that's what we do week in, week out. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so the question for many commentators, but above all, my brothers, is James now ending his letter and he's got three ideas. So is he saying, but above all, and now he's going to give three ideas of concluding thoughts? That's one. Or does it fit in the flow of thought with seven to twelve? As he's talking about this patient endurance and how our testimonies, you heard Rick say last week. So we took it as it fits within 7 to 12, but there's the beauty of fighting for clarity. Some could argue he's actually trying to move us to the end of his letter. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so here's where we're headed. We're just going to look at these three questions as we walk through this one verse. So is James saying all oaths, all promises are improper? Should we not make promises at all? Well, well depending on you, how you take that, well then, so what kind of promises is James really talking about? And then what's wrong with adding these flowery layers to the promises we make? So pray with me and we'll, we're going to go through this fairly quickly. God, you are way too good to us. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life, and just the privilege and gift to sit under the authority of your text and have that guide our decisions in our Monday to Saturday. And so help us hear from you through your word, uh, through your little brother James, and, and what he learned from you as he was sharing that with these churches. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So why one verse? You should be thinking, David, we go fairly slow. Why are you revisiting a verse we talked about last week? And here's what strikes me about what's going on in our culture. There's just a prevalence of lying in our culture. Our culture, by and large, feels like it's drifting away from truth-telling, right? Our entire legal system is predicated on the idea that you tell the truth. And it almost feels like the culture shift is now not truth-telling is the preeminent value, right? We used to tell stories of George Washington cutting the cherry tree and then telling the truth about it. There's been a shift now it feels like is if I can get away with it, if you catch me, now it's a bad thing. And so for those who follow Jesus, there is a way that we actually believe life was intended to happen. And so I, I just Googled lying. I mean, you can find these stats all over the place. I assumed it was true. I just now have some stats 
Here was one infograph that walked through a little bit of just where our culture is at. Everybody lies sometimes. The average child begins to tell lies between the ages of two and three. And I'm like, man, I feel like it even starts earlier than that. I'm like, I watched my sweet little girl Eden fake cry. You know what I'm talking about? Right? She'll start crying. I'm like, you are, you're such a stinker. You're such a stinker. I know you're faking it. But I mean, she's 16 months, right? Fake crying. Where does it start from? This, 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 this culture of not telling the truth. When meeting someone new, the average person will lie two to three times in 10 minutes. Most people lie about four times a day, which adds up to an average of 1,460 lies every year. Men lie an average of six times a day. Women lie an average of three times. And I found this fascinating in some of the stats. They said men will lie more about themselves, uh, about what they have or do not have to appear a certain way. Women lie more to protect others. Now, obviously, you could be either way on that, but there's the generality. And then the, 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 the statement, nothing's wrong with me. When we can obviously tell, we lie for a lot of reasons, but among the most common, to make ourselves look good, to get out of trouble, to avoid hurting someone's feeling. I found this interesting uh, from a stat at uh, UW. LAX is what again? La Crosse. So there was a survey in La Crosse. Uh, some, some stats taken where they said people mainly tell little white lies. And this is what fascinated me, just how the framing around almost diminishing the impact of little white lies. 86% or 88% of reported lies in a study were described as little white lies and 11% characterized as big lies. An example of a little white lie would be saying you like a gift, but you really don't. And an example of a big lie would be insincerely declaring I love you to someone. So just just diminishing the yes be yes and no be no as if it's no big deal, right? This is just the shift, I would say, of, of the perception and culture of truth-telling. How often do people lie? You saw this stat earlier. It's estimated that 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. Just what's going on in our, in our everyday circumstances, and some lies are not harmless, the, stat, the stats continue to go. Nine in 10 middle schoolers admit to regularly cheating on homework. I mean, it's just what we do. In order to get ahead, I should just cheat. I mean, it's just, it's just fair. Everyone else is doing it. What, what's, the, what's the harm, right? And this is this pervasive line in our culture, even more costly, over 15 million Americans, you might have even been one of them, are victim to identity fraud annually, costing about 50 billion in damage. And then relational impact, some impact relationships. 50% of men admit to infidelity in a past or present relationship. 54% of women admit to the same. I always tell premarital, premarital counseling couples, there's something fascinating about Christian marriage. Because every other marriage on the planet says, once, once I no longer need you, I'm going to go find someone else that I enjoy more, right? And so it's, it's no longer I'm finding my joy in you. It's, it's what you, once you stop pleasing me. Christian marriage, on the other hand, says I'm so filled up with Jesus that my happiness is now found in pleasing you, right? But it's a counterintuitive way to actually view the relationship. And if you want the stats, you can go download the sermon notes later on the website. But, but I appreciated some of their work citations. Why do people lie? Where's this come from? To hurt another person and shift blame. I mean, I watch it with my daughter all the time. I ask her, 
And her immediate defense is to blame someone else. It wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. Man, how young does it start? To protect another person and be nice? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or to appear or impress a more favorable position of yourself. For personal benefit or gain in order to get my way. To manipulate a situation. And man, are Christians good at that? Man, it feels like we sometimes levy and manipulate the word of God or the will of God into someone else's life. I remember in college, right? I can still vividly remember it. You know, someone would say, they're telling me about a story. I think it's God's will that I marry them. You know, and they go, you know, and they tell them, I think it's God's will that I'm supposed to marry you. I'm like, I don't know if that's the best way to articulate. Maybe you say, I really enjoy getting to know you. But we, we can manipulate And I'm like, I don't know if the girl was experiencing that reality in the same way. We just manipulate in order to get our way. And then to avoid others or confrontation. Why do people lie? And here's the essence. Our culture says, if I'm really going to be happy, you should be free from any commitments. They think the way to self-fulfillment leads to truth. My truth, whatever that might be. I need to be free of my commitments. Uh, I mean, I mean if, this, if this individual, if my spouse isn't pleasing me, I'm going to go move on. I'm going to be free from my commitments. If this church isn't really fulfilling my needs, I'm going to move on. In all of life, self-fulfillment leads to truth. Rather, and I was having this conversation with one of our administrators, at the foundational view, what is that? There's something about identity. That there's this crushing weight that we are trying to find our identity apart from the truth that actually anchors us. For the Christian, it's actually the truth of who God sees us to be leads to self-fulfillment. It actually flows that direction. But our culture says, if you're really going to be happy, you need to release yourself from all these commitments. Don't be shackled by this stuff. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, James says. Here's what he says. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so the question we should ask is, based upon that, do not swear. So do we not make any promises? I'm going to fly through this part really quick. I'm not even going to read the verses because I read it for service. Took a long time. But the question we should ask is, so we should we not make any promises? Eric, should we not make any promises in life? Let's find out what the text says. Are all oaths improper? Do not swear, James says, by anything, right? So do we not make any promises? Well, that might be interesting in the context of some of the verses that we see throughout the text. You know, God makes oaths. In Deuteronomy, we see him make a covenant that his father swore before him. And then in verse... Uh, eight, it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. So God makes oaths. Oh, well, well, what else? God actually commands oaths. In Exodus, we see this. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or a beast, if it dies or injures, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both. The owner shall accept the oath and he shall not, and he shall not make restitution. Well, well, David, are we forbidden from making false oaths? Yes! Yes, in the Old Testament, we see this in Leviticus. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Well, David, that's all Old Testament. Is there any New Testament? I mean, this is now new. We just live in the new covenant, right? 
Well, Jesus actually makes an oath. I find this one fascinating. He's standing before, about to be condemned, and he's silent. The one time he speaks, anyone want to take, take a guess what it is? It's when he's asked to make an oath. Here's what Jesus says. But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, under oath, you have said it so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Under oath, Jesus swears under oath. I thought James just told us, don't swear. Who else? Paul makes oaths. In 1 Thessalonians, you guys can read it later. And in 1 Philippians 1.8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with this affection in Christ Jesus. So are all oaths improper? We would say no. The person I was talking to on the soccer field would say, See, look at the contradiction. To which we would say, Man, what a beauty in journeying through interpretation. It's a beautiful process. It's too simplistic to say, are all oaths improper? Instead, we understand James has a specific idea in mind. What kind of oaths is James talking about? But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's quoting his big brother James in Matthew. We hear Matthew talk about these oaths. And it's, and it's nothing outside of our own experience. There were these layers to trustworthiness. That if you swore by something higher, you would be deemed as more trustworthy. And there was this rhythm to oath making. Does it feel like we do that in our world today? Does it feel like sometimes we try and add language to develop the trustworthiness of a statement? Does anything come to mind? What comes to mind? What would be some of that language we might use today? You ever heard someone just say, hey, can I be honest with you? Right? You're like, were you not just honest with me the whole other time when we were talking? What, what else? What are some ways that people try and elevate their oath making? You know, to tell you the truth, again, we, we are trying to use language that validates more of what we're saying you know, I'm going to swear on my child's life that this is the God honest truth. And James is saying, you know, in this pervasive lying culture, Christians actually are able to lead with a genuine authenticity that is different. Not making these layers of commitments, but just knowing that our yes is yes and our no is no. And so in an oral culture, it was more verbal. In our culture, what is it? Well, you didn't sign the contract, or I didn't sign the contract, so I'm not liable. <laughs> and, and we find ways to back out of agreements. Well, I didn't promise. Rather than let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so I think in my life, I have my kids come to me frequently. Says I think James is talking about truth-telling generally and oath-making specifically. You ever had your kid come to you and ask for something? John, you don't have kids yet, right? Okay, not yet. Someday, someday. I promised Hudson I'd print off an Among Us character. But what happens is, hey, buddy, just in a little bit. And what does he do? 
He understands. He's back in a little bit. And then what do I say? Hey, buddy, I'm busy in a little bit. And I promise you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to print you something off. And that dude holds me to my promise, right? I promised my kids we'd be making s'mores Sunday night. So I will keep you updated next Sunday, whether that actually came to be or not. But we make these promises. I think of in our interactions where we try and manipulate or blather on about content without just saying, I don't know. I don't know. But we try and defend a position or manipulate the facts rather than just honestly saying, you know, I don't know. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, I think uh, in this particular situation, I promise to help a friend move, but in my heart, you know, I don't want to do it. What do you call that? Well, David, that's just life. Doesn't matter if I didn't want to do it. You know, my wife asked me to do something and I agreed, but you know, in my heart, I didn't want to do it. David, that's just life. Or is it something else? What is that? I think James is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I promised a friend to help them move, but in my heart, I don't want to do it. You guys know I don't love lifting heavy things, right? Have we talked about this? And so when you agree to help someone move, but in your heart, you say, I don't really want to be there. Can they tell? No, all they see is your physical presence there. And they're assuming that in your heart, you actually want to be there. You said yes, they're assuming in your heart it's a yes. So now, hopefully, what's taking place is there's a desire. Do I really want to help my friend? Yes. Do I really want to help them move? No. But is my desire found in my friend and helping them greater than the no of helping them move? Then I would say step into that situation. If your desire to help your friend is yes, but the agony of helping them move supersedes your desire as a friend, then let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what happens that David, but if I say no, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. Yes. But endure that moment of uncomfortability as a reflection of our faith. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Rather than enduring the frustration and bitterness that starts to grow in your heart. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, James says. And then I think we do this with God. <laughs> oh, or dinner plans. That one too. We'll skip to this one. But I promise God I won't blank. And yet I continue. Let our yes be yes, our no be no, and God continues to shower us with grace. I love what Tim Keller says about this. Saying one thing and doing another. Doing one thing and thinking another. James is talking. May we be truth tellers. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. So are all oaths improper? No. We make promises, but are there kinds of an oath that reflects something untrue in our heart as we make commitments? Yes. Well, what's wrong with that? We look around and there's a cost. People lie why to shift blame to be nice, more favorable to get our way, avoid confrontation. And we think in the immediate, there's a benefit, right? In the immediate, we go, well, there's a win. I'm not held responsible. People perceive me as a good person. I'm perceived as being favorable. I got my way and I avoided confrontation. David, what's wrong with that? Where's the cost? And yet James says there's a cost. But I think there's other costs in addition to what James says. I mean, we just look at the cost of identity theft 
in our education system as they're fighting for clarity around identity, uh, cheating. There's a cost that happens in personal and interpersonal relationships, the legal system. You think of people who have been found guilty, though they were not guilty, or people that were not guilty that were ended up being charged as guilty. 20, 30 years later, we watch it on Dateline, right? Where that person wasn't actually responsible for that crime. There's a cost, a life. But David, there's just so much untruth in the world. You guys know about this misinformation <laughs> trust thing that was established and now eradicated? David, there's so much untrust in the world that we're people helping people find life with Jesus. How? David, I can't control all the mistruth that's happening all around me. One life at a time. Do for one what you wished you could do for many. And then James levies this spiritually. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. We are equal opportunity offenders around here, right? It feels like the perception is the church cares exclusively about wrestling with this idea of human sexuality. We go, we're equal opportunity offenders. James levies condemnation from God for being untruthful in our conduct and our language. It's a big deal to James. It's a big deal to God. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. And that gets reflected. There's a battlefield happening every single moment of every single day where in my heart I'm thinking something, but I do something different. Or I do something in, and it's not actually what ought to have been done. There's a battlefield all the time. And so James helps us see there's a spiritual work being played. What's another cost? Using these oaths implies that there's an appropriate way to speak with different degrees of truthfulness. That I can speak with greater truthfulness in this situation than I might in this. James is saying, wherever you are, whoever you are, be that individual in all those situations. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Using them illustrates that others ought to assume we just speak less truthfully. You guys can just understand if I say, let me be honest with you, that I wasn't honest with you before, and now I'm, that was less truthful. Now I'm being more truthful. James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And using them conveys we don't ultimately trust God. Because where these improper oaths come from seems like they stem from an insecurity. And that insecurity then manifests itself in untruths that lead to a defensiveness or blame versus James saying, do we find our security in, in our identity in God that leads to an integrity that then manifests itself in a vulnerability that could be uncomfortable, but is actually more true. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up. Here's my encouragement as we go through our Monday to Saturday. where is a relationship you're in where you've shaded the truth? Is that in with your spouse, with one of your coworkers? It's good to see you. Is that, where is that? Where might you be tempted to shade the truth a little bit where you would add some different language or you wouldn't quite share something as candidly? Where is that relationship with your kids, with a coworker? 
And then here would be my encouragement, and I think what James is saying, for those that treasure Jesus, our yes is yes, and our no is no. We confess and address and commit to living with integrity in all of life, where our yes is yes, and our no is no, is a reflection of our faith. When our spouse has a conversation with us, we understand that if we use certain language, or our significant other is asking us something, to let our yes be yes might produce some uncomfortableness that raises some of that insecurity to the surface, which just means we get another opportunity to address that. With our kids, we're building foundations of their view of God. Do they trust us with the hopes that someday they're going to trust the sovereign God in his direction for their life in the way they saw it lived out in us? That when I tell my son, ah, in a minute, is he someday going to attribute God's delay in bringing things into his life as inconsistent? Or is he trusting me and ultimately seeing a trust in his heavenly father someday? With our coworkers, it could create some tension. So find the line and appropriate boundaries. But what would it look like to step in and let your yes be yes and your no be no in different interactions? Someone turns in a late assignment who's on your team and they go, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then they begin to get a little defensive. Might you say, it appears you're getting defensive in, in having not turned that in. May you actually provide an opportunity to develop truthfulness. Ultimately, as a reflection of your faith. Confess, address, and commit to living with integrity in all of life where your yes is yes and your no is no as a reflection of your faith. Pray with me. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, your, your work in our life, this ongoing spiritual transformation. We want more of you in our life and that it would get reflected in, a, in, a, in an authenticity with integrity and a vulnerability where our yes is yes and our no is no. Reveal that a little bit more fully this week. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.